0: Scripture today comes from 1 Peter 1, verses 20 through through 2, 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. For the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are here in our midst. Father, your word says that we're two or three are gathered in your name. You are also among us. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we know that we can boldly approach your throne, Father, for we are sons and daughters of you, and so we just praise you this morning for that. We ask that um, you would meet us here, Father, and that you would show us something new about your character and who you are and what you desire for us. Father, may you go before Kevin this morning um, and put your words in him. Father,
1: we love you, and we pray, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, Can I just get you guys to give yourselves a round of applause this morning? Can we just do that for me? Because it is cold and rainy, and you got out of bed and made it to church this morning, unlike many of your neighbors and friends and brothers and sisters. Um, If you have a friend who's not here this morning, go ahead and send them a text and and lay a guilt trip on them. I don't mind that at all, but no, in all seriousness, thank you guys for getting up uh, and, and getting out this morning. I know it's cold and rainy and wet, and us Floridians don't know what to do when the temperature dips below 55, and so uh, it's good to have you guys here uh, this morning. Um, we are in week three of uh, a sermon series that we are calling The Everyday Church um, as we work through um, Peter's letter. Uh, to the churches and, and and kind of what we would consider like modern day turkey and and north of of that area and um you know the the question i I got asked this about a week and a half ago by somebody said hey why are, why are you guys calling uh this Series: The Everyday Church. Why? Why did you guys choose that name for uh, a study in First Peter? And and so I I think like I, w- I just want to take a step back and kind of reintroduce a little bit about what I talked about two weeks ago in my introduction uh, to Peter's letter. And th- and that was this that that the church in our context, so in the United States, right? The church in the U.S. is is currently. Uh, in a uh, environment of um, kind of cultural what I would say uh, loss or where we're losing influence and, and power and what we're seeing even in the south for you guys that even grew up here is what what a lot of sociologists and uh, people that, that study this type of thing like from from groups like the the Barna group or the Gallup group that would say that the death of Christendom in the United States. And, and what they mean by that is that 30, 40 years ago, more than half the population would have identified as Christian. Whether they would hold to the basic tenets of being a disciple of Jesus or not doesn't matter, but culturally, they considered themselves to be Christians. And, and what we see now in 2019 is that label doesn't carry the same weight that it used to culturally. Therefore, we're seeing kind of this slow death of Christian culture and influence in the United States. And and I I shared some some statistics a a, a couple weeks ago that, that not only are we just losing influence in our culture, but that the church, that the number of churches opening every year versus the number of churches closing is not even keeping up with population growth in the United States. Meaning that, you know, back in 1990, 20% of people attended church regularly. By 2050, that number is projected to be 11%. That's just the number. Now, Mix that drop of 9% with adding about another 150 to 200 million people that live in the USA, and you're talking about a significant portion of our culture that does not have consistent connection with the church and the body of Christ. And so Peter is writing this letter to Christians who are facing persecution and losing their place culturally in their society. The the suffering and the persecution that they're facing is physical, but it also has to deal with family relationships. It's emotional, um, and it's cultural to where they're losing jobs. uh, They're losing places of prominence within the Roman government or whatever province they're in. And so they don't understand how they could have grown up in this one maybe particular city or this one particular region, know their culture, know the people around them, and yet now because they are identifying as a born-again follower and disciple of Jesus, why they are suffering and under persecution when they've been told that the promises of God indicate life and life abundantly with joy. They're struggling to reconcile the future promises of God with the reality of the situation that they currently find themselves in. And I think it's fairly easy, and, and you know the leaders of the church talked about this when we were praying months and months ago about how we would kind of begin moving our church and trying to make us as a church body, more aware of what's going on around us, that we are a lot like the churches that Peter is writing to, that we are a group of people that still have influence culturally, but are losing that influence quickly. And Peter gives in this letter some distinct. Uh, points and principles to follow to help us stay on track so that we might do what we're called to do, which is bring glory to God and glorify Him in the midst of suffering and persecution. That in the midst of that, and I said two weeks ago that one of the things that I'm most excited about for as long as God would have me remain on this earth, is for the next 20 or 30 years as Christian culture um, dies out in the U.S. and we see as a church probably an increased suffering, there's going to be a cost that comes with being a follower of Christ. And I'll just say this, every major movement that I have studied over the course of the last 2,000 years in my church history classes in seminary That when God moved, he often moved in the midst of his people experiencing marginalization and suffering. That when the church, the body of Christ, lays down its preferences and its desire to be powerful in a culture and instead gets after the glory of God, that makes Jesus look beautiful, And when that happens, he becomes attractive and powerful to a culture that is hostile and antagonistic towards you. And so we've seen kind of, we've been looking at kind of a main point each week as we've gone through this first chapter of 1 Peter. And in that first week, right, the first main point was this, right, Peter writes to them and says, hey, embrace suffering." Don't, free from, don't flee from it, don't try to be rid of it. but he says, embrace suffering and in that suffering, be distinct. right? He talks about how, as followers of Jesus, they are born again to a living hope, and that living hope is the resurrection of Jesus. And because that living hope in the resurrection of Jesus is victory over sin, Death, the things that uh, you're addicted to and chained to, that if you experience the freedom that comes from the living hope of Christ, right, and understand that you are now a child of the living God, right, that you embrace suffering to the glory of Jesus and that brings glory and honor and fame to his name. And then we looked at last week that in embracing suffering, the call of the church is is to be holy to be separate, distinct from culture. Uh, We talked about this idea of understanding the difference between fear of man and fear of God, and that fear and reverence of God will drive us to be distinct and obedient to the call of God on our lives. And And we said there were kind of three ways that we could respond to this call to be holy, right, that we would prepare for action. This is all from verse 13 of chapter one, that we could prepare for action by reflecting on his goodness, meaning that if you're saying, hey, how how do I just embrace an attitude of holiness? How do I begin to kind of uh, pull myself out of this fear of man and embrace what God would have for me? You do so by preparing your mind for action, by reflecting on God's goodness towards you in Jesus, that you will take some time to just sit and reflect and say, what has God done for me? What has he rescued me from? And then in that goodness, how is he calling me to be an agent of goodness towards someone else? And then he says not only to prepare for action, but to be sober-minded. To, to ask yourself, where are your affections? And what are they pointed towards? Are your fears and loves driven by a fear and love of God, or are they driven by a fear and love of man? Are they driven by the things that God says he cares about Or are they driven by the things that the media or your friends or your boss or your neighbor or whoever else tells you to think about? And then lastly, right, he said this, to set your hope in Jesus because the only way we truly embrace a lifestyle that is separate and distinct and holy is understanding who you worship and serve. And we said that there's this distinction between this idea of religion and being a follower of Jesus. That religion says, hey, what are the things that Jesus tells me to do to be holy? And then we create a list and we try to follow after that list. But being in Christ, right, is about identity. It's about knowing who you are and where your hope is placed, And is your hope placed in finances or or job security or in policy written by our government? Or is it placed in the one who resurrected and is our living hope? And so as we continue through the letter this morning, Peter is going to give kind of like this next step and this next charge to the church on on how to continue to be the church, to be the distinct, called out people of God in the midst of the suffering. And when I say the church, right, when I say, hey, Peter is, is giving us great principles, right, on how to be the church, I'm not talking about an event or a gathering or this building that we happen to find ourselves in. When I say the church, I'm talking about the men and women of God who have given their lives to Him and trust Him with their eternity. Guys, we could be meeting out in a a tent under the rain today. And we would be the church gathered in the name of Jesus. Because the the people of Jesus are distinct and called out, right? If you've ever read the Gospel of Matthew, I love how Jesus kind of describes what his disciples are to look like. Look what he says in verses 13 through 16 when describing the church uh, in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste... In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right, The church is called to be salt and light to a world around us that doesn't even know who created them. And we're called to be distinct so that we might glorify him. And so therefore, if we embrace our distinctiveness both in suffering and we pursue holiness, we will see this glory of God start to be put on display where people, people will look at Aletheia Church and they'll look at the other churches that embrace this same call and they'll say, yeah, you know, those people are weird. They're, they're, there's something strange about them. I, I said this a couple weeks ago. A Christian who looks strange to the culture around them is doing the right thing. That that there should be a distinctiveness to a follower of Jesus, but not a distinctiveness that drives people away, but that is attractive. And if we embrace this distinctiveness that God has called us to, the next thing that we're going to see that God (laughs) calls his church to be is what Robin read for us earlier, earlier, and that's this. Peter makes a declaration that his church, Jesus' church, right, needs to grow up and mature in the faith. Whether, how many of you guys in here have been a Christian for less than two years? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you guys. Awesome. If you haven't been baptized yet, see me after service. We're going to get you baptized. Okay? If, how many of you guys have been a Christian for longer than two or three years? Okay. Now, here's, and by the way, if you just raise your hand and you haven't been baptized, then shame on you and then see me after church. We need to get you baptized, because this is, we're talking about obedience here. Okay, but here—but here's the deal, right? right? Whether you've been a Christian for, a, a, you know, six months or six years, one of the things I've seen over the course of, the, uh, of time, as I've been a follower of Jesus now for about 13 years, is some people never kind of get out of the baby Christian stage. They'll, they'll pray a prayer, and then they just stay there. And what Peter is going to talk about today is, hey, in the midst of embracing this suffering and being the church, there is a call and there is a a resolution that we must make to grow in Christ. That we resolve to grow in him. So let me read the passage to you one more time. Because I want us to understand fully kind of what Peter is saying here as we dive through these verses. All right, so he says this starting in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Right, so it is clear from the text there that Peter desires and wants them to grow out of the baby Christian stage. Right, he says back in verse 23 since you have been born again not of imperishable seed but of uh, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word again he's like look you're you're born again you're new you're a newborn right and then he gets to verse 2 in chapter 2 and he says like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation Right There's this idea of when someone is born again in Christ that they need to grow and mature. And if we are to become a church that praises, glorifies, and honors Jesus all the way back in verse 7 of chapter 1 and that charge that Peter gave them, it is a big deal for us to be growing consistently in maturity. Honestly, like I said earlier, it's one of the biggest problems we face as a, as a church in the U.S. I think, and, and, and this, this isn't like me knocking on you guys. As a matter of fact, I would say it's probably a deficiency of leadership in the church for the last couple of decades, myself included, But we've gotten to the point, oftentimes of church, of our sole purpose is to get people to pray a prayer that asks Jesus into their heart, but then we don't commit to discipling them and telling the importance of what it means to be a growing and committed maturing follower of Christ. That as leaders, right, when we read the Great Commission in the book of Matthew and Jesus says, go therefore making disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we've changed that command of Jesus to go therefore and get somebody to pray a prayer so they can get out of hell. Amen. And that is not the call of a follower of Jesus and that's not what the church is supposed to look like. I know that in our Western society, right, we're driven by numbers, and it's a lot easier to throw numbers of how many people prayed a prayer last Sunday at church, but it's a lot harder to put up numbers in front of everybody and say, these are people that have experienced life change and growth over the course of their life and their walk with Jesus. But the call of Christians is to grow and mature, not to remain babies, All right, how many of you guys in this room are parents? Okay, so like nine of us, right? For the rest of you guys who didn't raise your hand, how many of you guys have babysat a child under the age of five at some point in time? Okay, so there's more hands going up. All right, so I want you to think about this because parents parents are gonna understand this analogy I'm about to give about the importance of maturation and and thinking through this. Um, Here's an obvious statement. Kids are not ready for life on their own yet. I know that there are some like, you know, excuse me here for a second, some hippie parenting theories out there. They're just like, hey, just let your kid do whatever. Good luck, right? Like kids don't come out of the womb ready to do algebra. They don't even come out knowing how to use the bathroom or to feed themselves, right? The call of a parent is to disciple and discipline and train up and help that child develop character and obedience so that they might one day know what it means to follow God and live a life unto him on their own. That's the entire charge of a parent. God, I'm gonna stand before God one day and God's not gonna say how well behaved were your kids. He's gonna say how did you disciple and discipline your young boys to know that I created them uniquely and individually so that they might be followers of me and to be an agent of change and glory to those around them that they would love and serve and have character. That's what God's gonna ask me. And guys, young kids, they, they wouldn't even know where to start with some of that. Like, I was just thinking about this this past week as I was preparing for this sermon and this idea of maturity was kind of like going through my mind. I was thinking like, man, my kids, man, they, they struggle sometimes. I mean, like, here, here are some facts about young kids. They are incredibly emotionally unstable. <laughs> like, crazy. And the parents are laughing and all you college students are like, what are you talking about, dude? They, you will find out one day. Right, like, like Gideon, I love that, I love my seven-year-old to death. He can get in the car with Jackie after school, weeping, I mean, just inconsolable tears of sadness about something that happened at school. He's heartbroken and destroyed, and nothing we can say can fix it. And then I'll get home a couple hours later, and every night at dinner, right, when we're sitting there as a family, we do what's called high-low. Right? and I'll be like, hey, what's everybody's high-low today? What, what's the best part of your day? What did God do that was awesome, and what was the low part of your day? And Gideon, inevitably, Jackie will have texted me that afternoon, and like, Gideon was a hot mess in the car this afternoon. He w- I could not get him to stop crying. And then I'll say, hey, Gideon, what was your high-low? I didn't have a low today. <laughs> what? Mom told me you cried the whole way home. Yeah, I did. <laughs> what? right? This, like, kids are just, like, by definition, emotionally unstable, right? And, and so, not only this, right? They're incredibly selfish. The universe revolves around them, right? My, J, like, Josiah right now. Every time he and Gideon are in the same room, I'm like, dude, you can't, like, it's not yours. The word mine, uh-uh. You know, you know whose that is? Mine, you're borrowing it, right? I'm teaching you right now, just like the whole universe is God's, and if we yell, mine, he says, no, mine, in this house, it's mine, right? And if you can't learn to share and work together, I'll just take it, right? As I teach them to be good stewards, but, you know, this idea of children are emotionally unstable, they're selfish, uh, they're easily controlled and swayed or gullible, right? And this is a good thing if you can lead them the right way, but you can also lead them doing some really foolish things. I mean, I remember as a kid, and I wasn't even that young. I was in high school, right? This is how easily swayed I was by the opinion and those around me and how immature and unstable I was, right? My buddy had a Montero, which was like an old SUV with a sunroof on it, right? And, and, you know, in our infinite wisdom, we bought some fireworks and decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to attach the... The mortar on top of the car and set them off as we're driving around town. Now, first of all, right, common sense says if fireworks are illegal in the state of Virginia and you're setting them off driving around town, um, you're going to be attracting them to you as the fireworks are going off on top of the car. But we couldn't get the mortar to stay on the car, so my friends and I convinced ourselves that we would be okay holding it down through the sunroof. Guess how many fireworks we set off? One. Then my burnt hand afterwards said, yeah, I'm not gonna do that again. Right, right, we're incredibly gullible and quickly talked into things, right, and kids even more so. Right, like, I, like some of the like, things I do, Jackie gets mad at me all the time, but like, I'll just make up stuff with Gideon sometimes. Like, and now he's like, he's smarter than me at this point, so he's onto it, but especially when he was younger, I'd be like, hey, like, why did, you know, like, how, how, did, how did this happen, how do we, well, dad built the house. I don't even know how to use a drill, and then Gideon, like, well, did you see that dad did all this, mom, and Jack would be like, no, dad didn't do any of this, you kidding me, right, the moment he has to do anything remotely mechanical, he's mad, because he doesn't know what he's doing, right, but kids are just gullible, And, and, and then on top of that, right, and I think this is the number one thing I want you guys to think through, think about kids, especially young kids, Kids under, like, the age of five are insanely insecure. Like, if you've ever been in, like, the preschool age room of a church daycare or worked in a daycare, once a kid hits about, like, 16 months old or two years old, every day the parent drops that kid off, and what does the kid do? Cries. We got a a preschool teacher in here somewhere. They know because that is every day of their life. Right? That because that kid is convinced that the person they love is abandoning them and never coming back again. That's why I love Daniel Tiger. Some of you guys are like, what the heck is Daniel Tiger? Mr. Rogers, but in cartoon form. And there's a song on Daniel Tiger that says, Grown ups come back. That's it. That's the tune. We sang that to my kids from age two to age four. Mom and dad will be back. Right? And you guys are laughing at me around. Just wait till you have kids one day. You'll sing it too. Because it works. Right? Because kids are insecure. Right? They don't know if they can trust their parents or not. They don't know if they believe it. And so think about that for a second. And then think about the fact that Peter is calling right, the church to move past that stage of life. Amen. To move past being gullible and thrown to and fro by every doctrine or thing you hear philosophically, to move past being unstable emotionally and moving through high highs and low lows that depend upon your circumstances, or that he's calling you to move past a selfish mindset that's solely centered around building your own kingdom but is instead centered around him and his kingdom. That he's calling you to move from extreme insecurity and distrust of God to seeing his faithfulness time and time again to where you can sing that Daniel Tiger song to you that grownups come back except Jesus always comes back. That he's always faithful and always there. Guys, we need to grow up because the culture And society is moving on. And guess what? Kids don't lead revivals. Adults do. Kids don't discipline and talk about the glory of their fathers the way that adults can. I love what Paul says when he's writing to the Corinthian church. Let me just tell you something, guys. Man, The church at Corinth was jacked up. I mean, there's having some issues, and then there is this church in Corinth. They were a hot mess, right? And Paul writes to them in his first letter. And when you get to chapter three, look at what he says. He says, "But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Could you imagine that? Like, I couldn't even address you as being spiritual, but as people of the flesh." And then looks what he look at what he calls them next as what. Infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were what? Not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? If we do not learn to grow in maturity and knowing who we are in Christ, we will be doomed to constantly move forward and look like children to the world around us. Needing constant attention, affirmation, going about insecure, and not trusting God. And let me me just say something, guys. If If you're a relatively new believer in here, it is okay that you are there. Like, if, if, you've, if you are new to being a disciple and a follower of Christ, right, you're, when you probably talk about your faith with somebody, you have this internal, crazy, emotional feeling that you just get when you feel about, when you think about Jesus and what he saved you from. That's the Holy Spirit reminding you that God dwells inside of you right that 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 you need as a young believer to see god change your life and wor- and work in other people's ways you need to see miracles and examples of his faithfulness in those early days to be reminded the same way that parents love and do those things for their kids so that they know mom and dad love them but here's the reality that has to grow and that comes from pursuing, as God's people, maturity in the way that he's called us to. Peter calls us to pursue growth and maturity to be more effective as Jesus' church and salt and light to the world around us. And so this, this inevitably brings up the question then, okay? If, if, if Peter's kind of building foundations and block after block as we, as we move through this letter, then the question is, is, what does it look like to grow then? Right, if, if, if Peter is saying, hey, look, as the church, the body of Christ, we are called to mature, then what does that look like? Right? Well, if you just look at verse 22, it gives you, gives you all you need to see right there. He says this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So he lists a number of different things there of what, if you are a maturing disciple of Jesus, what that looks like, right? Obedience to the truth. That means listening to God's word. And there's going to be more on that in a moment, but it means you trust what God has said to be true and you pursue that as being the guiding force of your life to honor and know your creator, right? He says that you have a sincere brotherly love. This means that you care more about others and their interests than you do about your own, right? If you don't believe me, read Philippians chapter two, verses one through 12, right? Where Paul says, make my joy complete by Having the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus to consider others as more important than yourself and esteeming their interests above your own. Then he goes on to say, your example for that is Jesus, who emptied himself in the form of a bondservant and took on human flesh to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you might be saved. Right? That that Jesus is the ultimate example of caring more about others' interests than his own that he emptied himself of his prerogatives and his place in the Holy of Holies with God the Father in heaven so that he might die on our behalf and that the call of the church is to now be distinct and love one another the way that Jesus loves. And then he says this, right? He only says that it is a sincere brotherly love, but we love one another earnestly. And that word earnestly is this Greek word ektenos which means to stretch out your hand. And what that meant, kind of it it was a colloquialism in Greek culture, was this idea of doing something resolutely, intensely, or fervently. Meaning that the church is gonna be known by its love for one another. That we love and care for those around us and care about their interests in serving them. By the way, Jesus said that, guys. He says, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So Peter isn't sharing anything groundbreaking here. He's just sharing the very same thing that Jesus shared with him. We are called to love and we're called to do so as a resolution and to pursue it with abandon. And guys, I've seen this at work. When a church loves one another and loves the people that are a part of that community, whether they are a follower of Jesus or not, they know it. I've had people that live in deep, unrepentant sin leave the church but were loved by the people in that church and came back and gave their lives to Christ because they knew they were loved and that was attractive And it pointed them to the greater love than even the love of that church, Jesus. Now, not only does he call them to pursue obedience and brotherly love, but then in verse 1 of chapter 2, he calls them to a character change, right? He says, put away, and then he just listened about five different things there of what growing maturity looks like in the life of a follower of Christ, right? He says, put away all malice, which is just a desire to be evil. He's like, dude, stop just thinking of ways to get back at people and be evil towards them. Stop Common sense, but some of us need to hear that, right? He says, put away all deceit. This means stop lying. Put away all hypocrisy. And this is one of those things where I think it's, like, really hard. The church has a a reputation of being uh, a bunch of hypocrites nowadays. And, like, I think it's kind of been popular amongst the church to say, hey, we are all hypocrites, but let's embrace that. And it's okay. You can come here and be a part of that too, There's some truth in that, but there also needs to be some truth in the church that we say, hey, stop being a hypocrite. Stop it. If that is the judgment of the culture outside of us, right, there needs to be a commitment inside the church to put that to death. He says to put away all envy. This means to stop living with discontent or being resentful at the success or blessing of others. If someone else gets that job that you wanted, rejoice with them. If someone else gets the house that you wanted, rejoice with them. If someone else is more successful than you, rejoice in what God is doing in their lives. He says, lastly, put away all slander. Stop making false statements about people's reputation. And guys, that includes Politicians. And I don't care what side of the aisle you stand on. Be different. Look distinct. Pursue maturity. I heard in a sermon this past week uh, talking about spiritual growth and maturity. Um, Pastor J.D. Greer, who pastors Summit Church up in in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina, uh, was was talking about 1 John chapter 2. And he was talking about just how once he kind of understood spiritual maturity, these verses made a lot more sense to him, right? And so look at what John says as he's writing this letter, starting in, in verse 12 of, of, of chapter two of 1 John. He says this, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know who, him who was from the beginning and I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who was from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Knowing we are born again and pursuing growth, these verses describe what growth looks like in each stage of a believer's life if they're growing in maturity. Right, he's saying, hey little children, you know that your sins are forgiven. God's forgiven you. If you're a new believer, you should know that. right? Children, you've been a believer for a little while. You know the Father. You know who God the Father is. You know his character. You start learning about what he wants of you and what it means to glorify and honor him. He says, young men, you are strong. Right? This is, I think this is the stage a lot of people get hung up in is this idea of being a young man. Right? They start staring down their sin, and they just get caught up in it. Right? And John's word to them is, you are strong. God's word abides in you. You have overcome the evil one. Right? Put sin to death. And then lastly, he talks to those who are super mature, right? the fathers, and he says, you know him who was from the beginning. Right? What he means by that is, like you have gotten to the point there is a profound trust in God in your life. You trust in him when it doesn't make sense and you leverage your life for him and others. This is what we're after, guys. Right? This is the, the leaders of Aletheia Church. This is our desire for us. Right? That uh, we would be living lives that trust Jesus above all else, and that our lives collectively are leveraged for his glory. That even in the midst of suffering and pain and persecution, that we know him who was from the beginning, and we profoundly trust him above all else. And so Peter makes this call and says, look, you are called by God to be growing in maturity in Christ, to be sanctified by him. And here's what it looks like. It means obedience to his word, loving one another, and putting off these sins that hinder you. Right? Then lastly, right, he's going he's to tell us how. How the church does this. Right? Peter's incredibly practical. He says, how? How are we to grow? Right? So he says, all the way back in verse 22, It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, right? Obedience to God's word. This book. That if you want to grow and mature, right, you need to know what God has said to be true about him and you and life change, He goes on to say that we're to abide in the living word of God. means abiding in Jesus and his word to us. He says in verse 2 of chapter 2 that we're to be nourished by God's word. Guys, some people ask me like, a is kind of crazy about the Bible. Like they read, like they study it verse by verse and people like, back when we studied the gospel of Matthew and it took us 30 years to get through it because we went through it verse by verse. And people are like, man, I'm just kind of tired of the, the gospel of Matthew. And I, look, I get it. You know, we're at an age where we can pull out our phone and if you're bored, you can just move to the next thing in 15 seconds, right? And that's how we're training our brains to be. But like, here's something I don't understand. How could you ever be bored of the word of God? Like, I, I, I don't get that. Like, every time I open up the Word of God, there is something there for me. Every time. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm reading Genesis and my, my personal devotions right now along, along with the Gospel of Luke. And this past week... I'm reading through Genesis 19 and the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I have read that story probably a hundred times because even when I wasn't a Christian, guess where I always started if I wanted to read the Bible? Genesis. So I've read Genesis like 60,000 times over the course of the last 30 years. And so I've read that story multiple times. And you know what? God still met me while I read Genesis 19 this week and, pulled, and, and showed me something. When the angels go in to Sodom and try to take Lot out, it says that Lot tarried around and didn't listen to them, but because of God's compassion, God grabbed Lot by the hand and pulled him out of the city. That's what God does to us. Right, as we tarry and don't listen and are stiff-necked and obstinate, God grabs you by the hand and says, come on, let's go. I have read Genesis so many times, and yet the word of God is alive and it nourishes my soul. And if you read it, it will do the same for you. Because here's the truth about the word of God, right? And Peter says this in this letter, He says it's permanent, right? If you read verses 23 through 25, he says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He goes on to say, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but what? The word of the Lord remains forever, Not only is the word of God permanent, but it's good news. He says in verse 25, and this word is what? The good news that was preached to you. That we need continuously to be reminded of God's love and grace towards us in Christ. And that is good news. The good news is that it doesn't matter how much you've tarried or how disobedient you've been, that grace and mercies are there for you and that God is doing a work in you and will see it through to the day of Christ Jesus. And that he's calling his church to maturity. And that he says back up in verse 23, even this, that the word of God is alive. We must commit in our journey of maturation to being renewed daily by the promises of God and those come from a firm commitment to him and his word. And guys, let me just say this. There is no excuse to not be in the word. I know that's not really gracious or loving, but I'm going to be a prophet here for a minute and tell you what you need to hear not what you want to hear. Guys, we do not have an excuse to not be hearing from the word of God. We have more Bibles in the United States than I than you and access to them than you could ever imagine. Right? There are people in closed countries that loved to just have Pages of Bibles. In long form. I've got like 15 Bibles on my shelf at home because I, when I move on to a new translation or I've written in one long enough, I just decide I'm going to get a new one. Not only that, how many of you guys in this room have a smartphone? Yeah, it's like more, more than 80% of you. You have constant access to a Bible app. Constant. You are currently attending a church that preaches through the Bible. If you are part of a gospel community here, we talk about the Bible and the Word of God, and we study it together and encourage one another to grow up in it so that we might become equipped and empowered to go out and do the work of the ministry and engage our community. There's every reading plan you could possibly imagine out there. There's reading plans for high achievers, and there's reading plans for slackers. If you need one, I'll find one for you. There's reading plans that are like, it's okay if you miss the last 30 days, and there's reading plans where are like, you will read the Bible in seven hours. And whichever one works for you, go for it, but be reading the word of God, because Peter says that growth comes from knowing his word and abiding in it, in obedience to that truth. So here's my question for us, guys, this morning. Are we growing? Maybe a question you could ask yourself, what am I becoming? What does my life look like? Am I becoming a mature, growing follower of Jesus that's doing the things we talked about, like abiding in truth and sincerely loving my brothers and sisters in the faith and showing and displaying that love to others and and putting away all malice and deceit and slander, and envy. Am I I doing those things? Am I growing in my affections for God? Or you're becoming something. Are you being conformed to the culture and those around you? Remaining as an infant, immature, like a child who sees wild emotional swings, confused by flattery and deceit, selfish and insecure. Peter says we must commit, resolve to growing in Christ to make much of him. So here's what I want to do uh, for the last like five minutes or so of our time here, right? I'm not always super practical. I get told that all the time, that Kevin, you're in the clouds too much and you give us a lot of uh, like, principles but you don't give us specifics so this is about as specific as I'm ever going to get up here okay right uh, I'm going to share with you guys a resource to help you process through this idea of, of what it looks like um, to grow and mature as a disciple of Christ um, and gospel communities will probably start working through this some on occasion later in the spring. Um, I'll make sure that the social media team gets it up on the website and a link for this up on the website later today and on the Facebook page um, if you uh, have connection with us there. Uh, but this resource was created by a guy named David Platt, if you know, if you know who he is, uh, when he was at uh, the Church of Brook Hills in Alabama. Uh, and so um, we're just going to use it because it's good. And why would I not just use something that's good instead of trying to create something on my own? And so we're just going to use it. Um, It gives you six things to think through in the maturation process of what Peter calls the church to be. If we're growing in Christ, how are we kind of doing this idea of resolving to grow and mature together as, as a church to, to make much of God and see his glory declared in Gainesville, at the University of Florida, at Santa Fe, um, across the state of Florida, and, and to the ends of the earth, okay? And so six things, you can write these down. Uh, if you're lazy and just want to get the PDF later, you can do that as well, but at least pay attention. It'll be up on the screen for you um, as well. Uh, number one, How am I filling my mind with truth? These are questions to ask yourself of what you're doing and what you're pursuing so you might grow in your affections and obedience and love for Christ. And so number one, how uh, am I filling my mind with truth? And and some questions that maybe go below this is, is how are you reading and memorizing God's word? And how are you learning from others about God's word and his faithfulness in it? Number two, how am I fueling my affections for God? What, what is fueling my love and my affections towards Him? Um, how are you worshiping? What, what, is, what is good for you? Is it singing songs? Is it, is it getting alone with people and, and, and reading the Bible? Is it quiet meditation? I, I don't know what it is for you, but what is it for you that fuels your affections? for God. So how how are you worshiping? How will you pray? And guys, here's something about this affections always lead to action. And so when you start talking about how will I fuel my affections for God, you should also be asking questions like how will I serve and give my life for the gospel? Number 3, how will I witness to God's love? in the world, or to the world? How will I witness to God's love and what he's done in my life to the world around me? And those are questions like, who will I share that to? How will I share it with them, and when will I do it? Maybe it's your classmates, maybe it's your CrossFit buddies, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's your mom or dad or brother or sister, but who, how, and when will you share the good news of what God has done in your life and in the lives of others? Number four, how will I show God's love as a member of the church? All right, I need to pause on this one for a minute because every time I start talking about me being a member of a church, I get accused of just wanting people to be members here and then I'm using that to my advantage. Uh, guys, you know what God calls the church in scripture? His bride. Okay, so, so God kind of cares about the church, because I've never known a husband to show up on his wedding day and not care about the bride, and I've done quite a few weddings at this point. I've never been there, and, like the, and, then, and, and the groom is kind of like, I'm like, oh, man, are you excited? Never once has the groom been like, eh, yeah, I'm not really interested. Just doing this, seemed like the cool thing to do. Not once, Right, right? I have seen men break down in tears of joy and excitement because of what's about to happen. That's what God says he thinks of you and I as his church, his bride. It's the level of love and attention and care that he has for us. And so when I say, hey, look, God has chosen the church, his bride, to be the primary means by which he's gonna declare his glory to the world. He could have chosen to use a movie. He could have chosen uh, to show up, right, in visions during everyone's dreams. But God has, by his prerogative, decided that the primary agent of change to declare the glory of God to the nations is gonna be what? The church. Therefore, guess what? Being a member of the church is an obligation, not a choice. College students, specifically, I'm talking to you. All right? Get involved. Be a part of what the church at large is doing to make much of Jesus. And as you ask that question, how will I show God's love as a member of the church? You should ask the question, where at and what will I do there? You have spiritual gifts, use them. Do you know that administration is a spiritual gift listed in Scripture? And I do not have it. And I desperately need people with that gift to come alongside me so that I'm not walking around in a circle lost and confused. There are people with a spiritual gift called mercy. Again, I do not have that gift. Right? I need people with the gift of mercy who are going to walk into a room and say, Kevin... Yes, you're angry. Calm down. Jesus is bigger. There are people with the gift of faith. Some of you guys know who these people are. Some of you are this people, uh, these people. Like the the world, like an earthquake could be happening right now. We would all go running and hiding, and the people with faith are like, you know, I'm gonna pray right now. I feel pretty good about this. God's good, got this. There are people with that gift. If you don't have that gift, you're like, that's crazy. I'm telling you, there are people with that gift in this church, right? God is calling you to band together with your brothers and sisters to make much of him together as the church, the body of Christ. Number five, how will I spread God's glory among the nations? So not just here in Gainesville and in my immediate context, but how will we be a church that declares the glory of God, not just in Gainesville, but to the ends of the earth? Right? Some of you guys know we help plant a church in Barranquilla, Colombia. That's one way that we as a church are doing that. But how will you pray for the nations, give of your time, your talents, and your money to missions work? And Some of you guys in this room are called to be missionaries overseas. You need to pray about that and ask God what he's calling you to do. Lastly, and number six... How will I make disciples among a few people? And that seems like a strange one. I get that. Like, okay, what do you mean? Like, who am I I leading and growing and teaching to become a growing disciple of Christ amongst a few people? What does that mean? Well, first and foremost, most of you guys in this room don't have a platform where you get to talk to anywhere from 50 to 150 people on a given Sunday like I do, right? Or like um, whoever your campus ministry leader might be or some of the other church pastors here in town. You don't have that kind of platform. Right, and so, but there is right a a, a obligation that God has placed on you, right, to be discipling people, and that can be one or two people. You, if you have been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, can teach them to grow in their affections, obedience, and mission for Jesus. You can teach someone how to read the Bible and to study it, and to grow and listen to God's word. And so you need to ask questions, who is in my sphere of influence to pour into? And then you need to make a commitment to do that. Guys, if we do these things, if we pursue these things, we will grow. We will. We will mature. And if we grow and mature, it'll be exactly what Peter has promised From verse 7 in this letter, which is, We will bring glory and make much of Jesus. And guys, I will submit this to you. The cause of the gospel is greater than anything this earth has to offer, greater than any job, greater than any promotion. I'm gonna say something that might even sound a little heretical to some of you fervent Gator fans in here it's better than a national championship. The cause of Christ is the treasure hidden in a field. The gospel is the lost coin that if lost and then discovered, a woman cries out to all of her friends, look what I have found. If you center your life around the glory and cause of Jesus, you will experience joy Beyond all imagination, because you are making much of your King. Will you go on this journey with me, church? Will you go on this journey with me so that we as a Lathea church in Gainesville will make much of Jesus together? Let's pray that He might strengthen us to do that. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is timely and it is alive. Thank you that we can read a letter that Peter wrote to some specific churches in the first century about their suffering, but because it's alive, it still speaks to us today. Father, forgive us for not seeking nourishment from your word for not resolving to love one another and and pursue maturing and growing in Christ. Father, may we take those six charges seriously and may we continue to pursue after them so that we might grow in faithfulness, grow in trust of you and your word, and by doing so, make much of you to the world around us. And Father, thank you that above all else, this comes from a deep place of knowing that we are in you, born again to a living hope that is in you and you alone. And that when we fail, your mercies are new for us, and yet we continue to drive and pursue after you growing and maturing from little children to fathers who have known you who was from the beginning. Jesus, we love you, praise you, and we ask this all in your name. Amen.